The text for the sermon this morning is the verses 15 to 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 17. We'll read those verses again. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So far the text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, including the boys and girls, what will it be like on the last day of this age when Jesus Christ returns in glory to judge the living and the dead? Our text for this morning is about that return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fascinating part of the Bible, comforting, comforting passage. There are some Christians today who believe that this passage is not about the last day at all. They believe it's about another day, the day of the rapture when all Christians will suddenly be caught up to heaven and the rest of mankind will be left behind. And while those Christians who were raptured exist in heaven with Christ, then the rest of mankind here on earth will end up in a time of great tribulation. And then Christ will return a second time and raise up the Old Testament saints and the dead who had come to faith during the Great Tribulation. And he will reign with them in Jerusalem for a thousand years, a millennium. That's why this concept is called premillennialism. And at the end of those thousand years, the nations of the earth will come together against Jerusalem and Israel, the actual city and nation, and then Jesus, the king, will gloriously defeat them all and sit in judgment over them and throw Satan and his whole kingdom into the lake of fire forever. That's something like the premillennialism a lot of people believe in today. There are lots of variations, pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, rapture, etc., etc., all kinds of different variations on that. But it all comes down to this. They, they piece parts of the Bible together, and it comes down to the idea that Christ will return at least two times. And there will be multiple resurrections. 
The first time he comes back was, would be to take all those who believed in him into heaven, the so-called rapture of the church, the Christian church, and the second time to establish a thousand-year reign in the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Israel. Congregation, what are we to make of these kind of ideas? This kind of concept of this premillennialism? Does our text only speak of a first return of the Lord and are we to expect another one in the future yet? Another coming of the Lord? Let's listen to the plain language of the text for this morning. What it tells us is something, as it says in, Luke, in verse 18, something that we can comfort one another with. And I preach to you the text with this theme, then don't be afraid of Jesus' return in glory. We see two things. All his own will be united with each other, and in the second place, all his own will be united with him. So all his own will be united with each other, and then all his own will be united with him. First of all, all his own will be united with one another. The church of Thessalonica was a pretty new congregation. We don't even know if it had existed for a year by the time the apostle wrote uh, his letter to the Thessalonians. However, in that time, that short time that church had existed, some of the members had already died. And that brought a difficult question to the minds of those new Christians. They believed in the Savior Jesus Christ. They confessed his resurrection from the dead and his coming again to judge the living and the dead and to bring about the new heavens and the new earth. The apostle Paul had preached and taught those things while he was there. It instructed them in those things. But they worried about that return of the Lord. There was some confusion there. If the Lord came in glory, what about those who had died before that day, whose funerals they had attended, those Christians? What would happen to them? What about those beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord? Maybe also husband or wife or child or parent. What about them? You love them, wish you could have them with you forever, but what would happen to them if the Lord Jesus returned in glory? See, those new Christians had the idea that the return of Christ was very imminent, very soon. But if Jesus came back tomorrow, what about the mother who had, had died or the child who had passed away? Will, would they be glorified too? To the same extent as those who were still alive on that day when Christ came back? Would they, would they join each other in glory? Or would be, they be raised to another kind of life? Because they had died and they had been resurrected. Their bodies had been resurrected. Would they be raised to another kind of life? You see, the concern was that they wanted to be together in the same glory. And they wondered if that was the case. You can imagine those, those new believers wrestled with issues like that. If you experience something wonderful, you want others in Christ 
who you know to experience that too. Think of a birthday or an anniversary. You'd like all your, your loved ones to be there in joyful celebration with you. And if they're not there, you kind of notice the empty place. In the same way, you all you would want your brothers and sisters in the Lord, and especially also your loved ones, uh, the, the ones that uh, belong to your family and the Lord, to be together when the Lord Jesus returns in glory. Not in different places. That's the question the Apostle Paul was responding to in the text. And you see that in verses 13 and 14. He says to those Thessalonian believers, don't, don't grieve, don't weep as people who don't have any hope beyond this life. The Lord Jesus, who rose himself, will also cause those who have died to rise again, and he'll bring them with him when he comes again. Notice that the apostle says in verse 15 that his information comes by the word of the Lord. This we say to you by the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus had given instructions about this and about his return and how that would be to his disciples, most likely also in those 40 days after his resurrection and before his ascension, he had taught his people this. So what Paul says is from the mouth of the Lord himself. And notice also that he speaks in verse 15 about those people who have died as those who have fallen asleep. He mentioned sleep a few times here. And that's to emphasize the temporariness of their, their death. The death of their bodies. It's temporary. If you're alive when Jesus returns, you will see those who have died again. You won't precede them into heaven while they remind, remain behind here on earth in some other form. You won't end up in a different place from them. And then in verse 16, Paul explains how things will take place on that day when Jesus comes again in glory. And then he directs the attention upwards. Look up, he says, because that's where it's going to happen. For the Lord himself, he says in verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. The end of this world, as it is, will not be due to some kind of asteroid impact or global environmental disaster or so. Not even nuclear war. It'll be the Lord Jesus himself in person who will bring the history as we know it here now to an end. He's the one that will do that. And when he appears from heaven, glory will surround him. The apostle mentions though three audible things that will take place when Jesus returns in majesty and honor. Three sounds that will be heard universally. First, a shout. The word used here indicates a, a shout of command. 
like that of a military leader shouting an order to his soldiers. Sometimes you hear that on Remembrance Day. When the commander shouts, the soldiers stand at attention, do what they do. Well, that voice of command is the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The king, the greatest leader of all, he orders the dead to rise. He orders the dead to rise. That's what the Lord Jesus himself said to his disciples. John 5, verse 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, it says there, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus commands, they will live. He'll shout, the bodies of all those believers who died in the past will hear and rise to life again. It'll be as when he called out at the grave of Lazarus, Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus' body was raised, his soul returned to his body, and he came out of that tomb. Well, that shout of command from the Lord Jesus himself will raise those, the, the bodies of those who died in faith and their souls will return to their bodies. And then there will be the voice of an archangel. It says in the text, the voice of an archangel. In Daniel 12, we're told that the archangel Michael we, will be involved at the resurrection of those whose names are found written in the book of life. The archangel Michael. He's the commander of the heavenly armies of God. He, in other words, passes on the Lord's command. You can sometimes hear something like that when you attend a military gathering on Remembrance Day, as I mentioned, that you hear those, you watch those ceremonies in Ottawa. The general shouts an order. The commander passes the order on to others. So another voice of command passing on the original one. And the third sound is the trumpet of God. Trumpets are often mentioned in the Old Testament in connection with great triumphs. Paul also mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, in that beautiful chapter about the resurrection of the dead, in verse 52, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, that the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Also those who are alive at that time. And then he says in the following verses, death will be swallowed up in victory. That trumpet will sound the victory. It'll be a sound of triumph. So the return of Jesus' congregation will not only be visible, but especially audible, says the Apostle Paul. Audible. Universally audible. It'll be with great majesty, glory and majesty. It'll be an extremely exciting moment for believers who loved and honored the Lord. But those who do not believe will be terrified. They'll try to escape and hide, and as we can read elsewhere in the Bible, they'll call on the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. 
It'll be a terrible day if you didn't know Christ. But what a comfort for those who loved him, who looked to him. Because when the Lord returns in glory and majesty like that and his voice commands his people to rise, the graves will not be able to hold those people in anymore. The earth itself, the dust of the earth, has to give up all the bodies of those who have died. All those bodies will be reconstituted, glorified. How that happens, we don't know. We can't understand, we can't fathom at this time. Those who are alive at that time will see it happen. He who created man out of the dust of the earth in the first place, he will restore the bodies of those who have died so that they stand on the earth again alive, immortal, glorified. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation as John as Jesus says in John 5 also. The apostle has the believers who have, have died in mind in our text, though. The believers. They will stand on the earth again, alive and whole and glorified. Stand on the earth, and those who are alive at that moment will be changed in an instant. And there they stand together. Congregation, death has such terrible power, doesn't it? It brings about such a, a, an awful and drastic separation between the living and the dead. A bridge which, a gap which seems unbridgeable. But Jesus Christ, who rose again, is a lot more powerful than death. There are a lot of powerful people on earth. People with great political power, leaders of, of world powers. There are wealthy people who have billions of dollars at their disposal and think of themselves as powerful people and people look up to them. But none of them have today or ever had in the past or ever will have the power over death. You can't buy life for yourself. None of them could or ever would be able to give the command and bring anybody back to life again. No one but Jesus. Jesus was put to death and he was buried and he took his life back again and he rose from the tomb on Easter morning. Death could not hold him, Peter says later on in the book of Acts. Death could not hold him. He threw it aside. He stood there alive and glorified. His disciples, whom he had told about this before, and they, could, they couldn't believe their eyes. And that victorious power over death, even, will be fully displayed when he returns for the people who embraced him in faith as their savior. He will call out, he will command, and their bodies will rise from the dust and stand on the earth again glorified. 
and the bodies of those who are alive at that time, as we mentioned, will be changed in an instant into glorified and immortal bodies too. They will all receive their bodies back and stand there together before the majesty of the Lord of life. What a comfort for those Thessalonians congregation and for us too, those who have died in the Lord, who we had to say goodbye to, who were so drastically separated from us, whose bodies we had to bring to the cemetery to be laid in the earth, they will stand there alive with us on that great day. Brothers and sisters, parents, children, friends in Christ, all joyfully reunited with one another in the flesh, glorified flesh. And that's the comfort. It's not goodbye forever. No, they have fallen asleep until that great reunion. But the actual real focus of attention will not be even on each other. That will be comforting to think that way about that, but, but the focus of attention will not be on one another. No, together with all who have died in faith, the attention will be focused on Christ's glorious appearance on being with him. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon this morning. All his own will be united with him. Congregation, once the living and the dead in Christ are glorified, and then they, they stand there together, what will happen? What happens? Well, we'll all be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, as it says in verse 17. not just those who are alive when Christ comes, also those who died and were raised together, together, caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Clouds always have something to do with the theophany, with the appearance of the Lord in glory. We, we'll go to His glory Go to meet him as he comes in glory. So we, we believe in a kind of a rapture too. But a different kind of rapture than premillennialists claim will take place. As you mentioned, they say that when Christ comes back the first time, Christians will suddenly be taken up to heaven. They'll suddenly be raptured into heaven from wherever they are. They'll just simply disappear from among men. Cars will suddenly be without drivers. Houses suddenly be empty. Workers disappear from their jobs, leaving others behind. Those others who were not Christians at the time will be left behind. That's what the, the Left Behind series by LaHaye and Jenkins are all about. But what's described by the Apostle Paul in the text does not match that kind of a rapture. You don't get that idea in this text here, nor from the rest of Scripture. But especially not here. No, the voices in the trumpet already show there is no sudden quiet rapture. People don't suddenly disappear. No. No quiet rapture. And Christ isn't shown rapturing the believers up to heaven right away. He isn't shown coming down and then spiriting the believers into heaven. 
as premillennialists claim. No, the, the text speaks in terms of the arrival of a great king. As a, as a great king comes to his city, returns to his city, his capital city, or the, the homecoming of a powerful general after he has gained a huge victory over his enemies. Returning to his city, the trumpet is blown. News goes out. He's on the way. People come out of their houses. They go out along the road leading to the city and welcome their king or their victorious general. They go out to welcome him and bring him in with cheering and celebration. And we have to think here, congregation, of how the people welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. They went out to cheer him and bring him in as their king, waving palm branches, laying their coats on the road for him to pass over. Well, this we could say is the fulfillment of that triumphal entry. This is the real triumphal entry here. The living and the dead will all be wonderfully glorified. And all the glorified believers, their bodies no longer subject to the limitations of before. They will rise up from the earth and into the atmosphere to meet the Lord there and to joyfully welcome him here, escort him here to the earth with celebration and praise. And then the earth will be purged of sin and all the consequences of sin because Christ is here. And heaven and earth will be joined in one kingdom of God. And God and the Lamb will dwell with us forever. And thus it's added in verse 17, we shall always be with the Lord. Always. And that, that's the point. That's the point here. Being with the Lord. United with Him. Always. Always. Not for a thousand years or so. No, always and forever with Him. United with Him. Nothing can ever, ever come between us and His as his people and him. Nothing can ever disturb the relationship with Christ and his people again. Now it's stated kind of soberly in the text. We shall always be with the Lord. That's it. We don't hear of the golden streets or the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the city and the tree of life on both sides bearing fruit every month and so on as the Apostle John saw and wrote about in Revelation 22. What, what Paul writes in our text seems pretty plain in comparison to that. Maybe, maybe a bit disappointing. We would have love to know a bit more. Why didn't he give us a little bit more of an idea of what, what, is, what that involves? However, the text focuses on the ultimate wonder of what is to come. 
for believers. The most glorious thing about the life to come is that we're always with the Lord. To be with Him. That's it. To be with our Savior. That's the most wonderful thing imaginable. United with our loved ones who died in the Lord is wonderful, but it'll be beyond superb to be united forever with the Savior, the Savior of the world who gave his life for us, paid attention to us while we were still sinners. So the apostles doesn't say much about the life to come, what that, what, what's all involved there. Someone who doesn't believe hasn't experienced what it is to love Christ and to be loved by him. And they'll say, is that all? But if you love Christ as your Savior, and if he really is the Lord of your life, and you have taken in his spirit through the word, and you've experienced his immense love for you, then the ultimate for you is to be with him. Isn't it? Young man and young woman love each other. The big thing for them is, can we be together all the time? I want to see you all the time. Be with you. How much more Christ and his bride. And what an awesome moment it will be to see him coming in all his majesty and to go out and welcome him in and to be with him in his perfect kingdom forever. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, young people too, is that your hope and desire to be with him. Is that what you're living for now too? Looking forward to be with God and the Lamb in all that glory. And are you ready to be united with all believers and to be caught up to your Lord to welcome him in and be near him in his kingdom forever. Is that your hope? Amen.